Hello, I'm TD Madia, and I bring you fun, hard-hitting, and interesting conversations with politicians. It's also where pop culture meets politics. Join us on Politricking with TD Madia. Catch a new episode every Wednesday at noon on ewn.co.za and on all podcast platforms. So the city of Joburg remains without a mayor. It's the second week without a mayor. If you recall, it's had so many changes since the 2021 elections. But nope, you can go a step further. You can go to 2016. Because that's the last time, right, just before 2016 elections, that they had a mayor finish a term. You have to go as far back as Pakistan. So you're counting, what, five, six, seven mayors in between? From the 2016 period, at least three of the people who occupied the seats of power in Joburg are now deceased. That's how tumultuous the spirit actually has been. The people have come and gone. Lives have been lost in the pursuit of power as parties in the city of Joburg go all out to control one of Africa's most advanced, one of Africa's largest economies. Again, I say these cities will come into play in the general elections. Remember, 2024 are not local government. In essence, they should not be about the issues we deal with on a day-to-day basis in our municipalities. But here we tend to fudge everything. You know, you straddle the line between what you understand and what you don't understand. National politics influence local government. And I suspect local government will definitely influence national elections in 2024 including the issue of electricity, which brings me on to my guest this week. Take a listen. My guest today, I like to refer to him as Ramutlakasi. You might know him from the videos that are on social media. Can you hear the laugh? Can you hear the laugh? You might know him from videos that are on social media where he's dancing. I think those are clues, ne? So I'm joined now by Dr. Josien Susputa Ramukhopa. Thank you so much for making time for us. No, thank you very much, CD. I'm, I'm excited to join your platform. Thank you. You are the latest addition to cabinet. You have a crisis on your hands. How have you been finding coming into the job? Oh, well, it's a crisis of monumental proportions. I think it's got uh, significant implications on the lived experiences of uh, ordinary people uh, in the country, business, uh, uh, farmers, uh, you mentioned them. So every aspect of South African life is touched by by the issue of uh, unmet energy demand. And of course, uh, your successes and failures are apparent. Uh, uh, And as we speak now, I think we we are experiencing uh, unprecedented levels of load shedding. I mean, stage six, I mean, at the beginning of of, uh, April, I think we had the most sustained period of uh, stage six load shedding. Um, And I think that the undermines uh, the growth prospects of our country. Businesses are finding it difficult to continue to operate. Small businesses uh, have closed shop. Uh, people have uh, lost their their income uh, earning capacity. Um, uh, so households are basically going, going hungry. It's uh, disrupting the functioning of uh, the economy. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a major task. Uh, but I am up for it when I signed up to responsibility i did have a a long uh, and intense conversation with the with the president i mean just understanding 
the magnitude of the problem and the, the kind of support that will be required uh, for me to be able to deliver on the mandate. And I, I also had to consult with family. You can imagine the weight that is brought on uh, by this uh, responsibility. It was a frank and honest conversation and the fact that uh, it's not going to be pleasant. Uh, I'm sure, I mean, uh, like I said, people are experiencing hardships and, and now you have the face of this uh, failure of uh, the state to, to provide, uh, if you like, uh, energy to its citizens and the economy. And it has a name, and that name is Hosean uh, Susputla Ramakopa. So I, I, I do accept these uh, responsibilities. But I, like I said, I, I'm up for it. I, I know that we've got sufficient tools in our arsenal to, to resolve this problem. And of course, the expectation is that we must have resolved low shading by yesterday. And that's what I want, but unfortunately, it's not possible because of uh, the technical nature of, uh, of the problem, but also the fact that uh, there are legacy issues that have to do with uh, the state capture. I mean, uh, the Zondo Commission does chronicle and document what has happened, and that has got the implications of, uh, of the, the kind of crisis that we are. It's beginning to manifest. Uh, um, and of course, we, we need to undo that. Uh, so I'm, I'm more than confident about our ability to resolve this. And now I've got into a stage where we've put together a plan on how we, we're going to address this. But yes, the long and short of it is that uh, it's, a, it's a demanding responsibility. Nothing short of what I expected. I must say I expected this. Uh, and even worse, uh, getting into winter. The winter outlook doesn't look uh, that uh, that uh, that good, uh, but I, I'm I'm sure that once we go the other side of winter, uh, the South African people are going to begin to see uh, the results of these interventions that uh, we have been making even before my arrival. I think we are going to see that the significant amount of work that has been done. But of course, people will appreciate it once into it translates into megawatts, and you are reducing load shedding. Uh, there's a predictable and sustained supply of uh, electricity and ultimately we are able to eliminate the load shedding. So I, I, I know what I've signed, signed up to and uh, all of the criticism, uh, uh, the commentary that's there, I accept it. Uh, I mean, people are, are aggrieved, uh, people have lost jobs, people are in a very difficult situation. So I accept them to be upset, despondent, not to believe what we are saying. But the best answer that we can deliver to uh, the naysayers, but also just the honest South African people in their majority, is to resolve the problem that is confronting us. And I have no doubt that we are going to resolve it. When you took on this job, as you said, you had a lengthy conversation with the president. What were your expectations? I asked this on the back of this back and forth conversation around powers the electricity minister requires. What was your understanding of what you would get in terms of support to do the job? So first was to describe uh, what is the expectation. And as the president uh, announced to the countries to address the intensity of load shedding, so essentially to move it to stages significantly lower than the stage six. And then secondly, is about the frequency of load shedding. So as you will know that in 2001, 2021, I'm sorry, we had about the 71, 75 days of load shedding, and 2002, that went to 2,202 uh, number of days of load shedding, essentially uh, increasing threefold. And as I speak to you, 
who are on track to register, in fact, an even significantly higher number of uh, days of load shedding uh, before things get uh, get better. So I understood the president to say that they reduce that and reduce it significantly. What that number is, of course, is a function of uh, a computation. That computation will draw from my visits to the power stations. It's also a function of, of those powers that will be assigned to me because it determines how far I can go in making those uh, those interventions. So the president was able to, at a very aggregate level, to say this is I want you, what I want you to achieve. The second one was the president was very honest in saying that, look, as I'll be appointing you, this, some of these functions are residing in, uh, with other existing ministries. So, of course, the Department of Public Works and Enterprises uh, looks after the shareholder interest, the people's interest in these uh, SOEs, and it was looking at the entire value chain, really, from uh, generation until uh, the issues of, uh, of strategy, essentially representing the interest of the shareholder. And there's an admission that for the minister to succeed, he has to have uh, some of those powers assigned to him to allow him to execute and discharge his responsibility. And then there could be those functions <clears throat> that are sitting with the, the Minister of Minerals and Energy, and those have to do with the, uh, how you uh, deliver against the Integrated Resource Plan, which is really an overarching plan that articulates the demand of energy, the sources of supply, and the cost of doing that. And of course, we, we manage that through the multiple bid windows. We've gone through uh, uh, four successful bid, bid windows. When I say successful, those uh, uh, projects are now generating megawatts and they are on stream. Of course, there's a, a percentage of those uh, megawatts or electrons that are stranded. They can't be uh, provided to the grid because of, uh, of grid capacity. And it's a function of where they are, they are located. Uh, so the Department of Minerals and, and Energy runs that uh, procurement process of new generation. Now, to resolve uh, the issues of uh, load shedding, you are not only going to rely on existing generation capacity, you need to fast track, uh, if you like, new generation. It's procurement and also connection to the grid. So there could be those functions that are located there. And then there are <clears throat> interdependencies. So there are issues that are sitting with national treasury. Not necessarily that they should be a function of the Minister of Electricity, but they have a significant implication on the successful on the successes or failures of the Minister of Electricity. This has to do with um, ensuring that we improve the balance sheet of ESCOM to make the necessary investments uh, in relation to maintenance and grid expansion. So I'm not suggesting that those functions will come to the Minister of Electricity. I'm talking about the interdependencies. And then there's interdependency with the Minister of, uh, Ministry of uh, uh, Forestry, Fisheries and Environment because of issues of emissions. We know that uh, uh, thermal power and, and, and vehicles are the biggest polluters. And for you to be able to achieve your nationally determined contributions, you, make, you need to make decisive interventions in those spaces. So it can, it can prescribe essentially what these emissions are and it has implications on the, the installed capacity, the fleet, how you exploit it so that you don't uh, breach the emissions levels and you, don't, you are not at odds with our nationally determined contribution. So we accepted that as the, those are the issues that requires attention. And then the president did say that, look, we'll provide you with a, 
necessary support from a legislative point of view, essentially the mandating um, uh, aspects. That means fiddling with Section 34 and 35 yes, in essence. Yes. But that hasn't happened yet. So yes. to us as the greater public, you're idling. You're waiting to work. You're doing tours of power stations, assessing what others have supposedly assessed before. But you are an idol. Is that an accurate look well, at what you're doing? No, not, not an accurate one, because I'll tell you what. So first is that we, we now have a, a better appreciation of the technical challenges at the various power from stations. From your tour of the power stations. From the visits to the power stations. And on the back of that, we're able to introduce, if you like, uh, actions that are required to give greater impetus to the energy action plan. So we pre presented, uh, if you like, uh, a five-point plan for us to uh, provide some degree of relief as we enter into winter. And that derives from our visits from the power stations. Um, uh, the governing party approved that, uh, says though that's the right direction. The National Energy Crisis Committee, Newcom, said we agree with you. And now we are going to take it to the last step, is going to go to cabinet. And what is significant about Newcom is that the, the ministers, the ones that I've mentioned, Minister of Public oh, so Enterprises, DMRE, uh, uh, and they, they sit there. So, so all I'm saying is that we've been able to say that this is what is possible within the context of the, the energy action plan. These are the additional actions that are necessary to galvanize our But in a crisis, you can't directly make those calls. You still need to go through, which is the powers conversation where in a crisis one imagines you need to urgently deal with issues. How long do you think you'll wait for the issue of powers to be resolved? Well, I'm a recipient of powers, uh, so I'll wait uh, for as long as uh, the president is still applying his mind. Uh, and if you had to ask me, yes, I would want them sooner, but I do. I, 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 appreciate that there's some degree of application that is required. And by the way, the president keeps on updating us, the three of us, to say, I'm at this stage, I'm working on the following, please just be patient. Because I think it's also about the legal wedding of that. So the, the, mm. the state law advisors are working with the president. I'll, I'll, I'll wait for those powers to come. But there are things that I'm doing now, uh, essentially those uh, five-point intervention, getting us over the winter period with the... Uh, and as little harm as possible, harm in this instance, meaning there are no significantly higher stages of load shedding. We are working on that. And Minister Godin, Minister Mantash have given me the space to do that. And I must say that even in the absence of those powers being assigned, I think we have established the best way of how we can cooperate and collaborate uh, in delivering this uh, mandate. Uh, we are doing that, discharging it, I, but I think that uh, the assignment of powers brings greater levels of certainty and I can be held accountable like people like yourself on behalf of the South African people when I present myself before the legislature I'm able to answer the questions that are in my domain. I'm going to revisit the issue of accountability I think that it must be picked at. Please just give me a reaction to just some of these things. The ESCOM board had made a guarantee around an energy availability factor that we get to about 60, you're right? They're on a path towards either is it 71 or 75, whichever one they're trying to get to. But we had run about 58, so they've missed their target in essence. In a situation like that where you're not the primary shareholder, how do we navigate that where 
the board isn't delivering on commitments it's made. So maybe weigh in on why do you think it's failing to meet the targets? You said it will be, it'll get worse before it gets better. We're definitely feeling like we're going into the worse, which would lead to my second question about whether or not we're in stage eight. But first, let's speak about the board missing its targets. Well, um, I mean, uh, to the board's credit, first let me say the following about the board. I think it's a, it's an assembly of men and women who have uh, contributed immensely to the South African economy. I mean, these are people who come with uh, ex exceptional credentials and pedigree, and all they're trying to do is just to, to lend their skills and expertise to help us to resolve, I mean, one of uh, the biggest existential problems that is facing the South African economy. I mean, to the board's credit, if you look at uh, this, uh, two extraordinary events that have happened, which undermine the ability to meet the target of 60% performance on the EAF in the current financial year of 2023. What is that? Three units at the Kusile came down, essentially taking out 2,100 megawatts as a result of the flue gas desulfurization failure, which compromised, the, if you like, the the structural integrity of the chimney at Kusile, and it took out 2,100 megawatts. And then there was an issue with regards to uh, Unit 4 in, uh, in Midupi, um, which uh, caught fire and can only be returned. The initial timeline was 2025. It has been revised because of uh, uh, some uh, innovation that we introduced on uh, essentially procuring the long lead items earlier than anticipated. If you had to factor those and account for them or discount them in the energy availability factor, you'll see that they've, uh, they've uh, exceeded their target. But of course, it's an extraordinary event. We have to account for it. And that's why they're at 58%. But uh, the point I'm making is that if you look at the trend line, I think they are on course to achieve that 65% by uh, 2024 and then 70% by 2025. And that adds a significant amount of uh, megawatts. And I, I must say that this is where you begin to see the value of the electricity minister having visited the power stations. Because now I have a first-hand information of uh, what are the reasons for the failure. Otherwise, I will just be in the boardroom and say to ESCOM board, you have failed to meet this target. It must be reprimanded. There must be consequences. But now I've got a better appreciation of what that is. And I've been able to articulate that uh, position to my peers and also to cabinet. And there's an appreciation that... So you're bridging the gap in yes, understanding. Think, yes, there's yes. a lot of back and forth. If you listen to, we listen to energy analysts and the likes, they keep saying to us, we long hit stage eight. Where are we? What is your assessment of where we are and where we are going and how bad is winter going to get? So first is that uh, I have, I'm in constant communication with the uh, ESCOM. And I have no reason to uh, not to believe the information that they give to me. I mean, they've been very frank and honest, and I can see the numbers as an engineer. I can also do my computation. The second one, I did say to the country that they, I'm going to be brutally honest and transparent on the state of uh, the national grid uh, and energy supply. And where I am, we have not yet hit uh, stage eight. So that's the first, that's the first part. The second part is uh, if you look at the winter outlook of uh, ESCOM, they generate three scenarios. The first uh, scenario, the optimistic one, is that the, the amount of uh, um, megawatts that will be lost as a result of uh, the units failing 
what we call unplanned capability loss factor. Essentially, the units 3P in getting out of commission, not as planned, unplanned. The, the optimistic case is that will be at uh, that will be at 15,000 megawatts. And then the worst case, and then there's a, 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 if you like, the middle scenario, that that number will be at 16,000 megawatts, and the other one is that will be at 18,000 megawatts. If you look at the trend line for the past uh, 12 months or so, uh, or in fact, even in the recent past, you can see that we are upwards of 16,000 megawatts. So essentially, we, we are outside the best case scenario. So you can see that they already we are out of the best case scenario and we are slowly approaching the worst case scenario. And we have not hit the winter, the cold periods of winter, the years. Yeah. And, and, and if that is going to be the trend line, yes, you can see that they were on course for an exceptionally difficult uh, winter from a low chaining point of view. But then my point, my, my responsibility is not to lament and describe the problem, is to go further, then what are you doing to address Which that? Which is what I was asking about idling earlier. And yeah. then the, the, the one that will be doing part of the five-point plan is that we need to exploit the what we call the picking plants. So the picking plants are these units that you run when the demands uh, far exceed supply and you are trying to close the gap. And I'm making the point that if you look at the trend line, the gap is going to continue to grow. So it means that you must really run these picking plants. There's a precedence on how we ran the picking plants. If you look at the period, I think it's uh, 2014 to 2017, we ran them 21% of the time. When in fact, the, the convention is that you run them 4% of the time. Now, as I speak to you, you are running them 11.5% of the time. So there's room for us to double that and take it to those uh, levels that uh, were unprecedented 2014 to 2017. It comes at great cost to, to ESCOM because yeah. we are essentially banning diesel. And then where are we going to get the money? So we know that in the 18% that the tariff increase that the ESCOM has secured, there's 18, 8 billion that is built into that. In the 254 billion rands fiscal support that National Treasury has given to ESCOM, we know that there's 22 billion that's uh, assigned to diesel. So essentially, as I speak to you, we've got uh, a play of 30 billion rents, and that's the one that you, that you can exploit during this period for us to be able to close that uh, that uh, uh, um, uh, cap with regards to a uh, demand and, and supply. And that's why now I'll be spending a bit of time at the picking plants, just sitting with the, the station managers, trying to understand how best can we run these picking plants to allow us to undermine the severity of uh, of load shedding. So yes, the, the, long, the long and short is that it's going to be a very difficult, uh, difficult winter, and the numbers are suggesting that. I think you said that four times in this interview, so I hear you loud and clear. Um, the view that load shedding will not be brought to an end by the end of the year is something I think you've now made very clear to the public. Heard you speaking at the governing party's national executive committee, but very recently, I listened to the energy minister, Kwedemantaj, uh, saying actually it can be done. Very different views about what needs to be, not even what needs to be done, the timeline in essence. Very different views. I think at the end of it, just to sum him up, and you know Kwede can be abrasive, he says, in essence, you just need to focus. Your take on that, this push and pull around, when does load shedding come to an end? And as you said, the public, 
wanted this thing resolved long time already. Yes, I mean, the, the public is justified to want this to resolve yesterday. So if you look at, uh, listen to Minister Mantaje, his views that you can be extremely aggressive in improving the energy availability factor. Our answer lies there, by the way, in the installed capacity of the fleet of, uh, of ESCOM. And that uh, requires a number of things. And part of the interventions we are making on improving the energy availability factor is the issues around procurement, that as the unit fails, you are able to procure the, the components from directly from the original equipment manufacturer. You address the issues of what you call outage slippage, that is your failure to bring the units as promised on time, and that accounts for a significant proportion of the load shedding. So Minister Mandai says you must be extremely aggressive in doing that. And then the second part is a, the issues around the three units at the, at the Gusile, you will not bring them earlier than there. So the one is meant to come, unit one is meant to come in, uh, I think, on the uh, uh, unit two on the, in, the, in, the, in November of this year, and unit uh, one and five are going to, one and three, I'm sorry, are going to come in December of this year. We have explored from an engineering point of view of truncating those, uh, those timelines, essentially, and making sure that you've got multiple contractors uh, working on different elements of uh, the construction that is required. Unfortunately, there's only two contractors in the country that have got the capability to execute the complexity and magnitude of the work that is required. And we've engaged both of them, and they're going to be running a three-hour shift, so they'll be operating 24 hours a day. You can't get more than 24 hours mm. a day. You can't get more than seven days a a week, and that's where the, the reality is. Uh, and that's why I'm saying that those 2,100 megawatts can only come at the time that we had, uh, we had promised. And then on the other one, fire the other component, the other unit uh, of, uh, of uh, Kusile earlier, uh, which is scheduled for February of next year. These are long lead items. So when you buy generators, we are on the queue. There's a significant demand globally on those generators. We have been on the queue for the past three years or so. We can only get it at that time. The original equipment manufacturer says, I can only deliver to you on this time. So what sits on the critical part is those long lead items. We can't get them earlier. They can only be delivered at that time. And that's the complexity of this. So what is the point I'm making? is that we are short of 6,000 megawatts on winter or summer conditions. I've told you there's 2,100 megawatts we'll be getting by December. I'm telling you that we are going to improve the energy availability factor. I think we'll be able to add another 1,500 megawatts. So we are at 3,600 or so. There's 800 megawatts that's going, 700 additional megawatts that's going to come from uh, from uh, the other unit of uh, Kusile, and then we're expecting the other unit of Midupi, the one that uh, uh, caught fire, to come by April of next day, say 800 uh, megawatts. And then we're doing demand-side uh, interventions, and then we're going to be running a, an emergency procurement on uh, on uh, emergency power, a procurement rather, on uh, emergency power. Even uh, the ones that give you the prospects of uh, firing quickly, they need a period of about uh, two months to get that going. Um, and then once we run that uh, 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 procurement process, and you get the preferred bidder status 
they need another two months. So you can see that uh, for us to get that 6,000 megawatts, really, I'm talking about the uh, early next year. And then you still have to build the sufficient reserves mm -hmm. to make sure that we are able to accommodate for new growth going into the future. So that's the point that I'm making. So we've computed that and we, we don't think that uh, realistically you will be able to get the 6,000 megawatts by the end of the year. But we are confident that very, very early in the year, we should be able to get that. And that's why it is important that we share with the South African public. Of course, we are, trying to, we are going to try to be as aggressive as possible. The sooner we get, the better for the South African economy and her people. But the point I'm making where I am, as we map what the, the implementation is and what the timelines are, we can't make that promise earlier than the, the, the end of the calendar year. I want, I want you to weigh in on something. I'm just a little bit stuck on which one I want first. So let me start with this one. Just your reaction to the comments that you are stuck between two balls. The narrative that you find yourself in a hopeless situation because of, this goes back to the conversation of powers, if you may, but because of the energy minister and because of the public enterprises minister, these are two powerful politicians. And here you are in the middle in essence, your department threatens the way theirs operate. I, politically, there's always a question of influence, and people say this speaks to directly to that as well, which makes your situation hopeless. Your reaction to that view, to that narrative? Oh, I, I, I don't necessarily see my situation as uh, that of hopeless, uh, as, uh, as, as someone who, who needs uh, some degree of mercy. First is, uh, of course, you're absolutely correct. I mean, uh, in terms of political credentials, uh, impeccable track record in the movement, served the longest time in the NEC and also in the in cabinet. So that uh, I can't subtract from that. But I'm also a member of the of the NEC. Secondly, that I've got exceptionally good relationship with uh, these two ministers. And and this is a point I I, I struggle to make generally is. Uh, I I've enjoyed the, the the a good relationship with them over a period of time. Uh, in my various capacities, and that helps me to to really navigate, but navigate a very not, no no. It's about my ability to discharge the the, the responsibility. Uh, the you you can't discount uh, the the impact of personal relations in the in an environment where assignments are not explicit. So you really the biggest uh, currency you have is exploitation of those uh, personal relationships. And that's what has been able to get me going, uh, essentially, in this, uh, in this environment. But I think the point to be made to the public is that there's an appreciation by both ministers that we have to solve the load shedding problem. It's bigger than all of us uh, put together. And I think there's that appreciation. I see my arrival in that space essentially helping to add an additional degree of focus. I'm very honest about this on the magnitude of the problem that is confronting us and the possibilities of, of resolving it. I did share with you what has been the outcome of the station visits, some the technical, uh, if you like, reports that we have uh, generated. And I think there's an appreciation and endorsement from both ministers. When we went to NICOM, both of them supported the, the proposal. You keep talking about all these things. I accept those things. But I don't think it's about you, as I keep saying. Yes. I don't think anything that's at play that we are observing as outsiders is about you. I'd make an argument that you're collateral damage on any given day. 
but I don't no, think it's about you. No, no, and I think that's where the sense that this is a hopeless situation comes from, is that you're in the middle of something that's not about you. You don't get the sense that you're in the middle of something that's not about you? No, not exactly. Uh, of course, I mean, if there are issues, they could be historical, and I'm, I'm not afraid with what those issues are. But on the multiple encounters where I've been in the same room with the same ministers, I don't see that coming through. Where there are areas of differences, they get to be articulated in a meeting, substantiated, and I see them coming from a good place, genuine, and ultimately you are able to arrive at a point of convergence. And that's say uh, the conversations that happened at Newcom, they came from different angles, but ultimately we converged to a position and they both endorsed. When I went with the Minister Godan at the meeting of the Presidential Climate Commission, he articulated those views. I was with the Minister Mantashe in the NEC, articulated those views. That suggests that they were seeing the issues the same way. But yes, I mean, if they are historic things, I, I really am not fair with them. I can't see them playing out. Uh, perhaps I'm a bit naive, uh, which I don't think I am. But I, I really don't see that. Uh, and if there are areas of the end, they are. There are areas of differences. Myself and Minister Chris, we iron them out. Myself and Minister Godan, we, um, we iron them out. And then ultimately, we see eye to eye. Ultimately, I think that we are making a significant point. It's not about us as individuals. It's about the resolution of this problem for the mm. country and, and the economy. Mm. We spoke, you mentioned accountability earlier, that we can't necessarily hold you accountable as a country until certain things are put in place. It goes back to the conversation of powers. Do you have a sense that you're being set up as a scapegoat? Because we are headed to elections. There's got to be political pressure that comes with your job. The governing party is in a precarious position with polls putting ESCOM as a massive risk factor of how the governing party will perform at next year's general elections? Well, the first part, I make the point all the time that uh, I think the primary preoccupation is saving the South African economy, making sure that we protect jobs, that the industry continue to operate and farmers uh, produce, doctors are able to uh, uh, perform emergency emergency surgery, uh, traffic lights continue to work. We don't uh, undermine the efficiency of uh, the logistics network in the country. So I'm saying I see my responsibility as the resolution of uh, an existential economic problem in the country. And of course, that has got the uh, political currency. I mean, I will not be naive. I mean, uh, you can't afford a situation where you enter into an election, we're already entering the election cycle with the lights uh, being off. I mean, uh, essentially, you, you are putting yourself out of power. So the resolution of this problem is central, if you like, to our electoral prospects. And having said that, I don't think that uh, the solutions must be expedient. The solutions must be enduring, must be responsible, so that we protect the South African economy, because I think it's bigger than political party interests. And that's a point that the we are conveying, I think, in the meetings. I also make the point that uh, people, not everyone likes you, but I, where I am, the majority of the people, they really want this to succeed uh, because uh, people are suffering and will do everything possible to ensure that we, we resolve that. And uh, if we get to resolve it before the elections, we'll be more than happy. Like I said earlier on, we want to, to have resolved it by, by yesterday. But I think the primary consideration is how do you save the South African economy, continue to attract investment, protect jobs, and in fact, uh, 
create scope uh, for, for, for additional jobs to be created. I, I see, that's why I see myself. I, 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 I am confident about our ability to resolve it. That it will be before that, if you had to use the election timeline, it's a different conversation, but I think that we'll be able to resolve the load chaining problem. Like I said, in those uh, close discussions, uh, meetings we have with the ministers, the protagonists in this instance, Minister Mantashe, Minister Godard, we are all at one on the need to, to resolve this problem ASAP. I think many of us agree with you about wanting to resolve because that's what's best for the country. Do you get the sense, you spoke now about the ministers, but overall in the governing party, do you get the sense that everybody understands that it cannot be about the political interest? It's got to be bigger yes, than the ANC. Yes, I, when we went to when we were there in NEC, I mean, the conversation was about the cost of load shedding to the South African economy and the people, the kind of suffering that people are going through, businesses and the like. So there's that appreciation. This is just bigger than us as, as a movement. So it's important that we resolve it as speedily as possible. There's that appreciation. Yet some in the ANC look at ESCOM and actually describe it as an opponent to the ANC come election time, but we'll see. Um, you left infrastructure, you were here at infrastructure, a lot of private partnerships, I think we established those private interests in it. Is that still happening outside of you? Are you finding that they're still surviving outside of Khosi and Turamukhopa? Or do you feel that there's been a dent and there's been a move away from being interested in working with government? Um, that there's a feeling that there's not enough people with capacity in order for them to come aboard in that space? Well, two issues. The first one, I think uh, institutions are key. They must uh, outlive individuals. I don't think that we're creating a cult there. I'm more than confident about the ability of the technical team that is left there. And we have built enduring relationship with the private sector. And I can see that uh, is still uh, continuing. And the second part is that uh, on the back of those relationships, we are able to cement them on the energy side. So the personality is essentially the same. Myself engaging with the colleagues at the various sectors of business, areas of interest. I think we're working on the back of the foundations that we have set at the infrastructure South Africa and is getting that, uh, that new momentum. And you can see also with the, the resource mobilization fund, essentially a facility put together by, by private business to help to provide the technical expertise that will be required to resolve the load shedding problem is built on the back of those relationships. So, so no, I, I infrastructure South Africa, I think will continue even under the stewardship of, uh, of Minister Zikalala, I think is getting significant traction. Just very quickly on the issue of just energy transition and the conversation around renewables, two things. Um, to do commission or not to, and the impact thereof of funds that were directed towards the just energy transition, that's the one. Very quickly also, your views on, I don't know if I'm watching this alone, but every time there's a conversation around renew renewables that doesn't put them in wonderful glowing light, there's suddenly an influx of up as opinion pieces and there's a view. And you seem, you always get this feeling that, geez, there's a massive push towards driving the narrative in a particular way. Is that how you are sensing it? Even your comments about corruption, I know that they were taken out of con uh, context. Do you feel that there is a narrative outside of you, obviously in my space, to try and paint a particular picture? Yes, yeah, so, so the point I make all the time is that our commitment to the decarbonization agenda is, uh, is unwavering. 
our national de nationally determined contributions, uh, the net zero part. We are unwavering on that. We have signed the uh, conventions and protocols at an international level. South Africa is a reputable partner, so we don't want to harm that. But there's a context that requires the revision of the timelines, not the commitment to the decarbonization agenda. And that's the point we're making, that you can't decommission units in the midst of deficit and shortage. So you delay the decommissioning so that you sustain the South African economy, is able to survive, and you accelerate the introduction of, uh, of renewables. And yes, I have a view about uh, what's happening. I've chosen and I'll choose even now not to respond. I'll make sure that the lights are on and I'll respond. And when I respond, I'll be able to illustrate you that uh, essentially is a lobby whose uh, intention is not to look at other solutions. Essentially, it's their way or the highway. And I'm saying that, no, you need to transition in the light. You never said you are going to transition into darkness. So the lights must be on, the South African economy must be functioning, and then as we continue to decarbonize. But you can't just decarbonize and go into darkness. That's the point we're making. And I, I did say when I started the decarbonization agenda, unstoppable. Our commitment to conventions and protocols signed at an international level remains in place. It's about creating room and space for us to meet those uh, commitments whilst the lights are, the lights are on and the South African economy is functioning. I am wrapping up. I'm almost done. Your thoughts about from an ESCOM CEO, Andre Dureta, and the comments he's made, and the fact that that report supposedly that he bases a lot of the allegations on is found wanting. What is your take on that? I've uh, said I will not uh, put myself in a compromised position of uh, responding to unsubstantiated allegations by apartheid era agents. So now we know. But uh, that does not deviate from the fact that there is corruption uh, at, cor at ESCOM. Corruption has contributed to where we are. But as for other allegations, and now they've been uh, uncovered and masked that apartheid era agent have just uh, over tea just decided to conjure up a story and create a narrative that they essentially found traction. And they want me to substantiate it. I will not do it. I will do it on the basis of evidence and we have been able to determine and detect that there are areas of corruption that requires uh, uh, being pursued. We have uh, referred that to extreme number six, that is at the NICOM, that is helping us to address that. We are attending to the cartels, the criminal element. But for me to corroborate, corroborate apartheid era agents uh, um, uh, is like a STRATCOM approach. I will not do it, uh, but we will support it by evidence. And we have found that we are pursuing that. What's your take on having BLSA's Wusi Mavoso? At the time, she was on the SA, she was on the ESCOM board when this was happening. The money that was helping towards this investigation that now includes an apartheid era spy, she was actually on the board. To me, that spells conflict. What's your take? Well, it's a it's a matter that we will bring it up uh, in cabinet and government circles, and I'm sure that. Uh, Will, will provide a, a view of what that is. Yes, of course, there will be a view, but what's your take? No, of course, uh, business have got, they, they make their own determination where they want to invest, what is their area of interest. I'm not about to prescribe to them. And of course, we are raising a different question that uh, the site individual was on the ESCOM board. I see that uh, her role, the other side was in a capacity as a BLSA. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, the, the, the jury's out. I have no, 
I have no intention of casting aspersions. I'll allow for the situation to unfold and government, government will take a position. But yes, from personal point of view, I will not prescribe what business interests are and what is it that they will do to uh, pursue their interest. And is it not skirting the line, though, especially in a time where we're looking for business, private, uh, pa- I mean, government partnerships with private business? Is that not skirting the line where it shows the danger, the possible danger of such relationships? Yes, and I, of the public-private partnerships, I, I, rather. I look more on the positive side. We did reflect on the infrastructure. They've worked with us nicely. I did reflect on the resource mobilization fund. They've worked with us. So those are the, 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 the lessons that I want to take into the future. There will be missteps, and we'll engage with them in areas of missteps. Okay, I am, I am done. I am done. I saw I'm done. Um, your family's take on this journey thus far? What's it like? I mean, they too must get loaded. They must also be equally frustrated like the rest of us. Oh, they are. Like I said, I mean, when I took up the position, I had a conversation with them, what the implications are, of course, from uh, as ordinary members of, uh, of, uh, of citizens, rather, they get to be loaded. The experiences are there. They get to share that with me firsthand, but also when you get the kind of attention that is not that positive in the public domain, it does uh, affect them. But I have spoken about this, so they've known during the time as a mayor, MEC, it comes with the space, they know I'm thick-skinned, I'm able to... But just very quickly, would it have been better if you were made CEO of ESCOM once and for all as opposed to this? Oh no, I, I, I can't uh, enter into the realm of... Uh, uh, if you like making predictions or yeah no I'm here and I'm going to you say who I am yeah sure thank okay. you so much thank you <laughs> thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank. that's it from us this podcast was produced by Dudu Zile Masuku for Eyewitness News my name is T.D. Madia catch you next time <laughs>